Coach John Dewall is originally from Lakeland, Minnesota, attending Stillwater High School. In high school, he is a three-sport athlete competing in cross-country, Nordic skiing, and track and field. After high school, he attended UW-Madison, where he continued his Nordic skiing career. Throughout this time, Coach Dewall was instrumental in mainstreaming the rollerblade, going from coast to coast with demonstrations. At 22, he was hired at Hastings High School, teaching agricultural science classes. Throughout his 44-year career at Hastings, Coach Dewall has coached a variety of sports in the cross country, Nordic skiing, and track and field. During this time, he's had multiple state participants and individual state champions in cross country, Nordic skiing, and track and field. In addition to the individual champions, he has led the girls Nordic team to 14 conference titles along with eight section titles with the team state championship in 1992. On the boys side of Nordic, he has coached 21 conference titles, 14 section championships, and a team state championship in 1989. Finally, he's had multiple U.S. national team members such as Tori Crafson and two future Olympians and Lindsey Williams and Dan Campbell. Coach DeWall gives a great interview that highlights how success is measured and really highlights all the coaches and athletes he has worked with over his 44-year career. All right, here we are with Coach John DeWall. John, you got a legendary teaching and coaching uh, career going on here at Hastings High School, but I always like starting at the beginning of someone's life. So I think the people we always got to start off with when we get background info on our guests here is people's parents. So let's start off with your parents, uh, their names, where they grew up, their occupation. So once again, let's hear about your parents growing up. Yeah, I grew up in Lakeland, Minnesota. Um, I went to Stillwater High School um, as a kid. And my mom and dad, I was the only child. And so my mom and dad, my dad's name was Al. My mom's name was Arlene. Did a ton of traveling with them as a kid. Spent most of my summers over in Norway and Sweden. Um, you had all our relatives over there. And did a lot of traveling growing up. Like I was involved in no sports, you know, like everybody, Little League Baseball and football. Never football, okay, Little League Baseball. Um, hockey was major for me, but I was never really pushed by my parents to really do anything. Um, we used to go alpine skiing, loved alpine skiing, ripping up the mountains and um, super, super fun doing that as a kid. My dad was really involved with football. He played football in college at McAllister. He was the captain of the football team. My mom was a speed skater, crazy, and so was my dad. So they both met in the Twin Cities, and they they met in the Twin Cities. My dad's parents were from Sweden, and so he spoke Swedish all the way until he was five years old. So that's why my connected to, to Sweden. So it was really interesting as a kid. Like I said, my, my parents never pushed me in anything. Ironically, my dad never once said, hey, John, you need to play football or try football. Never even introduced me to a team or to any little league stuff for football. And I look back and then I always asked him why. And he said, the chances of getting hurt were so good. Great. to see a kid get hurt and get racked up. So I was never pushed into doing any football. So anyway, that kind of growing up, do you want me to go through high school stuff or do you? Yeah. The next thing that we always go into is just your high school experience as well. And obviously you probably had a great high school experience and you don't have to go in great depth with everything, but if you want to grow into great depth, you definitely can. If you want to talk about the sports you played, any personal accomplishments, any team accomplishments. I know a lot of times people get on here like, man, I can't remember if I was all conference, all state, 
I was a captain during this year. So some of those things go by the wayside, but we can yeah. definitely talk about your high school experience at Stillwater and everything that goes along with that. Okay. I went to Stillwater High School, and as a 10th grader, I had gone through hockey all the way through from when I was a little kid. And I was a pretty good hockey player. And I was in 10th grade, um, sophomore year, and um, one of our seniors at Stillwater High School said, hey, do you all, I'm a little sophomore, and he goes, hey, have you ever tried Nordic skiing? We got a great team at Stillwater. And I looked at him like, whoa, here's this big senior kid asking me about Nordic skiing. And my parents, ironically, had bought me skis when I was in eighth grade. Um, Nordic skiing was new in the Twin Cities, right? And I had the skis. I liked to go out and just cross country, like at some of the state parks and stuff. And back then, it was just these big, heavy wooden skis and big boots and everything. And um, to make a long story short, I actually quit hockey and started Nordic skiing as a sophomore at Stillwater. I played soccer in the fall, Nordic skiing in the winter, and I did track in the springtime. And so I love the skiing. And my whole thing basically was I just really want to kind of train to be a good Nordic skier, um, doing those three sports. And when I was a senior, I was a captain of the team. And we maybe had, I don't know, 15 kids or so on the team. And a kid from Norway came over to Minnesota on an exchange. And his name was Oystein Loseth. <laughs> and he came over, like in December, came over on our team, Stillwater. We actually won the state title my senior year. He was the individual state champion. And literally three weeks later, he was back in Norway. And yeah, not, not like today, right? You just can't come and go. And so his dad owned a ski factory in Norway, and he invited me to go over to Norway the following summer. So I actually went over to this little town in Norway. His dad pioneered the first fiberglass ski ever made. Um, and I actually had one of those pairs of skis um, I got from his dad at the factory. So it was crazy how all that transpired, literally 10th, 11th, 12th grade Nordic skiing. Going on, I, I had my wife, Lynn, who I met at Hastings High School, um, was a music teacher. And she was, we met at school down in front of the, the fire department. It was like a pep fest going on. And so I met her there. And to make a long story short, we she, she taught for 10 years. We have two sons, uh, Luke and Lars. And so Luke is 32 years old and he is he's married um they're actually going to have their first kid this month so it's going to be cool i'm going to be a grandpa right and he lives in minneapolis and he works for a company called deloitte it's kind of an international um, corporation my son other son lars 10 years younger he is 22 and he's a senior at saint scholastic up in duluth and his major is in education and history. Back to my mom and dad, they were both teachers. Or my mom was a counselor and my dad was a history teacher. So I got that education background from mom and dad. And so and my wife obviously is a teacher and our son Lars is gonna be a teacher. Mm -hmm. So the only one that's a little different is my older son, Luke. So my two kids, obviously they were very, very big into athletics. Luke was a three sport captain at Stillwater High School. He has many records in football. Um, he was a quarterback, punter and kicker at Stillwater High School his senior year. And he was actually all state too in, in kicking and punting. And he was a three sport athlete, weird because he was in football, alpine skiing, and baseball and so three sports um and again as a parent i never pushed him into any of those he was a bigger kid a little bit bigger than lars um and he ended up being stillwater's outstanding senior athlete um, voted on by the coaches his senior year so those were three sports he was in lars on the other hand 10 years later 
He was in cross country, Nordic ski, and track. Those are my three sports. <laughs> and he actually was voted the outstanding senior athlete also at Stillwater High School 10 years later. So six wow. different sports, two kids, two different situations. And so interestingly, they were both awarded scholarship for further athletic style at, uh, at Stillwater High School. So then basically I was at Stillwater as an old senior. I went to the University of Wisconsin and I was again really, really big into skiing. I got my undergrad degree in agricultural education and I got my master's at the U of M and my advanced degree at St. Thomas in Colorado State. In college, I was really, really, again, geared to Nordic skiing. I was at the University of Wisconsin. We actually developed the Nordic ski program at college. And at the same time, I volunteered at Stillwater High School. So my first real coaching experience was when I was still in college starting the Nordic ski team myself and basically um, organized that and then started doing volunteer work back at Stillwater. So that was kind of fun as that was going on. I started teaching crazy when I was 20. I was telling my students today at the first day of school, I started teaching at Hastings. I was 22 years old. I walked into the classroom. I had all farm kids. Uh, there was 90 farm kids, three classes. And it was like, oh my gosh, scary first day, right? And so that was my start, you know, going at Hastings High School. I look back on it, like I was telling my kids today, I said, every first day is different for kids. But instead of having farm kids, I was laughing. I said, the furthest we could actually go for working out was up to Westview. And everything else was farm field. And I saw my cross country team back then said, hey, we got to run to Featherstone. It was a little gravel path where tractors would go back and forth. So I said, where the school is, where you're right now, man, you are in a bean field or a cornfield. So anyway, fun, um, looking back and reminiscing on what it was like. Hang on, you know, after I was volunteering at Stoder High School, I was selected to be an official at Lake Placid for the U.S. Um, or for the Olympics in Lake Placid, which was an amazing kind of a turning point in my coaching and athletic career. I'll go being at the Olympics, watching the athlete, you know, Eric Hyden and speed skating. It was incredible winning the gold medal. You know, I was at literally every event. I was at Miracle on Ice. I was in the fourth row behind the U.S. team um, when they were playing Russia, which was absolutely incredible, most incredible sporting um, experience that I've ever been involved with. And it was crazy because it was an afternoon game and it wasn't broadcast on TV until later that night. And I remember calling home and just partying in the streets all afternoon at Lake Placid. It was <laughs> absolutely incredible, right? So anyway, um, that kind of was a turning point. Seeing the athletes, watching what it took at that level was incredible to see in all the sports. And like I said, I started teaching when I was really young. And you know, at that time, I was actually pursuing my national level coaching degree in Nordic skiing. And so I spent the summer, actually two summers at the Olympic Training Center up in Northern Michigan in Marquette. And we were working with the US ski team regarding training programs, what's involved. You know, before it was just hit and miss you know, with training, but working with the top level coaches you know, from the United States in, in skiing, you really got to see how to run a systematic training program. And skiing, running, track, all of it works together. Okay. And so that was really where I got my basics for learning training, right? Why, how it all works, how it fits together over a period of years. At this time, I was teaching basically full-time and then coaching. I started coaching. You probably want to ask me this question, but I started coaching the girls' soccer team 
ironic. I actually played that in the fall at Stillwater and girls soccer had never been before. It was the first year inaugural in the state of Minnesota. So Tom Roman, he was an Alpine ski coach. Him and I were actually the coaches for the first girls soccer team at Hastings High School. A little different then compared to now, obviously, with all the teams and, oh, good gosh, it's a long time ago. And we had uh, this girl, Edie Boyer. I'll never forget her. She was my goalie, and she was also a striker. I could never figure out where to put her because no one could ever score on her, but no one could ever block her from shooting into the net. (laughs) She was an incredible athlete. And so she was one of my early girls that I was working with, with soccer and also in track. She was a a shot putter. She was a discus thrower and just an incredible athlete. So that was one of my first real experiences coaching at Hastings. And then I started with track. I wasn't doing Nordic skiing then. There was another coach and they were still involved, but there was a program at Hastings. And I was working with Greg Sankham, a good friend of mine, starting back in 82. Him and I started coaching girls track together. And so that was really, really fun and just a lot of me over the years. My gosh, I did track for like 35 years. But anyway, at the same time, all this was going on. I was training. I just learning the coaching and I was still racing myself from college. And I basically was training 21 hours a week. So coaching, teaching, training, I was in my 20s and I was just hyped on how to train myself and then how to relate it later on to my athlete, um, which became a huge turning point working these these kids at Hastings. During this time, of like when I was working out, I was actually on the U.S. Olympic trials myself in 1988, top 25 in the American Berkebeiner, um, 25th in U.S. National as a college, or I mean, a, a young teacher. And so moving it back a little bit into the 80s, well, this was when Nordic skiing was going from classic, which was in the tracks, to skating. People started to skate ski. And there was two guys, that um, hockey players from um, the Twin Cities that actually developed a product, most of you guys know, called Rollerblade. And Rollerblade was brand new, and it was mainly as a training tool for hockey players. I was introduced to Scott and Brennan Olson, the developer of Rollerblade, and we connected and worked together for a little bit and actually did a demo team trying to introduce the skates, not just to hockey. You know, Nordic skiers were picking up on this as a training tool, skating with ski poles for Nordic ski. And so at the same time, they wanted to just put this product out to the general public to get just people to inline skate, rollerblade. I mean, rollerblade was going on big time in the Twin Cities. Nobody had ever seen the product anywhere except in the Twin Cities. That was it. And so... They asked me, I was doing some landscaping stuff in the summers and stuff and doing some coaching and all that, but, um, and training, but they asked me if I wanted to take a van, like a hundred pair of skates and work the summers introducing rollerblade across the West coast. So I'm like, yeah, for sure. So what I did, I traveled all over the center, West United States, California, or all of everywhere and did demos at sports stores all across the country. And people had never seen the skates because it was brand new. So you'd have the news media, cameras, TV coming and watching these demos where I would literally put people in parking lots on skates, going to the beaches on skates. And people were just freaking out because they had mm-hmm. never seen this before. So that was the start of a huge thing, not only for a product to, and actually I had a Hastings kids on my demo team skating around sporting events in the Twin Cities 
to expose the product just to people to see it. You know, I was working with a lot of the company corporate um, and it was moving so fast at the time as a training tool, as a fitness tool. And we contacted, I don't know if you remember Mike Ditka, Chicago Bears. Yeah. And they were playing the Vikings at the Humphrey Dome. Okay. Ditka called it the Roller Dome. Okay. It was a Monday night football game and against the Vikes. And we contacted the Vikings management and we ended up putting the entire cheerleading squad of the Vikes on rollerblades for Monday night TV. And that exposed the product all across the whole US to millions of people, incredible, right? So this skating tool became huge for our athletes. And so I had all our, now I'm starting to coach at Hastings, right? With our kids at Hastings in Nordic. And one of the things that I always said was Stillwater was always the best team in the state. Every year they win the state title, boys and girls. And one of the things that, that I always wanted to do was I said, we, we got to be able to take on Stillwater, right? And so when I started coaching Nordic in 83, it was all classic, and as the years went into the, to the late 80s, it's turned into the skating. And so I had all my kids on rollerblade, and, and we were training hard. And it was just a time where every year we'd go to the section meet. Stillwater was in our section. And it would be one and two. We'd always end up in second. One day, there's some wrestling. We'd go to the state meet, and we'd always be home. And we could never break through to get to that level one question uh, not to interrupt i had about rollerblades was this from the story you, like, you're doing this during the summertime right so you're teaching all the time and then you're doing the rollerblade demos across the united states while you're teaching is that correct correct so all yeah. summers i would do all this rollerblade introducing the product at the same time they actually developed a team a race team so mm -hmm. little races starting to be held all across the country and so rollerblade would send me to these different races like on a weekend so I'd fly out a Friday, go race a race in Vegas, go race a race in California, and you'd race for rollerblade and then fly back on Sunday night and be pitching <laughs> the next day. So it got to be a little nuts, right? So after that, for 15 years, I was just working um, research and development. And we were always coming up with new training tools, new ways, new speed wheels, everything, off-road skates, things like that. So did a lot with the research and development. Actually, I developed the first soft shell boot that was people always go, what do you do to make a skate lighter? And so we actually developed a soft shell boot and, and rollerblade patented that boot. So the first boot that we came ever was a soft shell boot on a skate called the Catalpa. And it was just an amazing difference because I know like the running shoes, all that light material, it makes a difference in racing and in speed. I remember going into the shop at school and I said, we need to make this plastic hard shell boot lighter. And so what we did, we used a drill press and drill the whole boot out um, with quarter inch holes. So it looked like Swiss cheese and it cut half the weight up, but with the same support. So when you were racing, the whole goal was to make, look at now with all these running shoes, how mm -hmm. light they are, the materials. Yeah. We started doing that with rollerblade because we were racing inline skating at the time. So it really, really fun as, um, as this whole process was going on as it was evolving. It was really cool. And when did I know now they have a type of maybe a crossbreed, like a rollerblade and a Nordic ski? You no. Know? So when did that come about as well? 
it's called a ski. It's called a ski, like a roller ski. That's been forever, really, back in the 60s, 70s, you know, all different variations. Um, they're not as versatile. Most of them don't have brakes. So if you need to bail, um, you literally <laughs> got to hit the grass or something, right? These rollerblades, you have a brake. Yeah. I remember sometimes we were out with our team at Afton State Park, and back then the brake was just a rubber pad, and sometimes the brakes would wear so fast that you'd come down to this metal shell that was holding the pad. I remember kids on the team going down these hills at Afton State Park. They're going so fast, wearing out the brake, and all of a sudden, it was late at you know, getting 536, and all of a sudden you just see trails of sparks just going <laughs> down the blacktop, and I'm like, you guys – you got to slow down, man. You can't be going that fast on those skates. So anyway, fun times back. Oh, God, a lot of memories of that going on. That's awesome. Going down Featherstone, let's say, and, and I'm like, you guys, you can't be going that fast. There's no yeah. way. You got to keep breaking. You can't. Because it can be pretty rough. And now roller skis, and these athletes are going out there and just flying on these roller skis, too. So anyway, a lot, a lot of stuff that happens with training tools, for sure. Yeah, so going to the rivalry maybe with you guys in Stillwater, Hastings Nordic, uh, against Stillwater, you talked about how we're always taking second to them, we're always behind. When did you eventually catch up to them? I know we are state champs one year, so let's go into that year as well and talk about how we eventually caused Stillwater, surpassed them uh, during that year and maybe any other year that happened as well. Was there a specific training that it went into it? Was it just maybe the great, uh, just really popped that year too, just had great guys that really followed you through the program or doing other sports as well, a high-level training? Anything that really went into yeah. continuing the Nordic program throughout the years? For sure. We were using the, this U.S. team training program. I was using it literally most of my athletes I'd have in the fall in cross. I'd have them in the winter in Nordic, and then I'd have them in, in track in the spring. Summer was the base load where, where everything happens in the summer for your training. You know, it's like loading up, filling the tank. And so really, really stressed this summer training, um, putting in volume, not race, just volume. Okay, so we were, this was back in like 87, 88. We were getting close, pretty solid girls team, pretty solid guys team. Our teams were always ranked one and two in the state, all through the mid 80s into the mid 90s. So literally a 10 year period, but we never got there. And that was just so frustrating as a coach. What do we got to do? And it was just perseverance. And the final year, I shouldn't say the final, but the year it broke through, Stillwater's ranked number one, and they had the number one ranked kid in the state. And we were racing, and we knew we had been doing really well in some of these early meets throughout the season. And now we come down to the section meet. Five score, okay, number one ranked team in the state. We had this Tori Craftson, mm -hmm. um, basically three state titles himself. We had Mark O'Connor, Scott Kinteric, Jim Defoe, Mike Hopkins. So we had a big, solid crew. And in any given race, these kids would flip-flop, like being number one on our team. Okay, So there was never a race where I could say, hey, this kid's always going to win. It was yeah. a flip-flop back and forth. So we were, uh, Wheeler and I were at the section meet at Cottage Grove Ravine, 10-kilometer race. And we were doing splits. And... It was like, oh, my gosh, we are just flying. Every kid that was coming through on interval starts, and we were splitting them off to Stillwater kids. To make a long story short, we went on a five score. We went one, two, three, four, five. We perfect scored. No way. Number one ranked team in the state. They were blanked. It was the most incredible. They were in shock. Can you imagine 
you're number one ranked, and Hastings takes the top five slots against you. I never and knew that. That's awesome. Oh, my God. That was the start, and that was the win. Um, at that time, Mike Hopkins, his dad was a fire teacher at Hastings, and he won the section beat. <laughs> we were like, still was like, who's this kid? Never heard of Vader and Tori. They never heard of Mike Hopkins. So this kid just blows the whole field and just shocked, right? So anyway, that was the start, and our girls' team broke through in 92. So, you know, that whole cluster, those 10 years in there, you know, we were always at the state meet, you know, beating still, it was really, really cool. What was really fun, back in, you know, 88, you know, I was at the Olympic tryouts in 88, and all those kids were watching when I was at the tryouts, right, up at Giants Ridge. And they were young. And every one of those five kids, this is really crazy, Mark O'Connor, ninth grade, this is where you never give up on an athlete. It doesn't matter. And Mark O'Connor, he was in ninth grade, could hardly ski. Took him an hour and a half to go around Cottage Grove RV. And this kid, he wasn't on that team that won the state title. But this kid, I'll never forget by the time he was a senior. I mean, he was overweight, out of shape, just started to train. And he just started to go after it. And by the time he was a senior, he was third in the state. He got a full ride scholarship, Division One, to Northern Michigan. Three years later, he was top ten in the U.S. And this was a ninth grade kid from Hastings that took him an hour and a half. We had to look for him in the dark on the course. I got to scroll for Veen, right? Unbelievable. So anyway, all these kids: Mark O'Connor, Tori, Tori had a full ride scholarship to Utah. Jimmy Defoe, Scott Kinteric, they were at U of M. Um, Mike Hopkins had a full ride at University of Alaska in Fairbanks. So they were all skiing college. Every one of those kids in 92 was at themselves at the U.S. Olympic team tryouts. Wow. And I was watching the race. I was just going, man, I can't believe how nuts this is. It was so fun to just watch these kids. And every one of these kids was an athlete at Hastings. And what a time just talking about it. Just so fun to see those kids at that point. And, you know, there was another kid too, Mitch Majeski. Um, he was just a super kid that was along that team with them. And just so fun to work with those kids. But anyway, pretty fun. That's awesome. You know, one of the questions that we always ask is about success and how we measure success. And I know I've talked to a lot of coaches like Jason Cook. And the things he talks about is, one of the things he talked about is, now he's been teaching and coaching so long, kids are coming back and coaching with him. So that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. You named a lot of big names there. And a lot of the kids that you coached back in the day maybe didn't come back and coach with you or have an impact later on with Stillwater, but you might be coaching their kids and things of that nature. And I know some people that I've already interviewed, like Lindsey Williams and Dane Campbell, people that you coached back in the day that were Olympians as well. So think about all those things with success and someone like this O'Connor fellow that really didn't start off that great and really peaked. Just dive into success and how you define success and all those little things that go into it as well. Uh, one thing that I think is once again really cool for you is you do have a lot of kids that have become coaches as well. So you named Tori Craftson, coaching at Stillwater for a long time. Um, you have Joe Urbade right now, an athlete of yours from back in the day who's now the current cross country and Nordic coach, also helping out with track. So you have a great long of, of a coaching tree and kids that have come back and coach with you, you're coaching their grandkids or kids as well. Maybe not grandkids, but uh, you're coaching their kids. So just talk about success and what that really means to you and how you really measure that. Okay, sounds great. I think back in the early days of coaching, you know, everything was, not everything, but a huge component of it was let's just win beats. That was, that was the, and 
as you coach over the years, hundreds of teams, I think the whole thing is that every kid is at a different level. Every kid, you have no idea where they're at. You have no idea what kid is and, and how you're going to influence that kid. And with team, it's not every team is going to be a state champ team. Okay. And you may have goals for that team, but it's like you can't make those goals so high that the kids are going, well, you got to be realistic too as a coach. Okay. And I think one of the things that I always would, would think about is adapt to the season and the team. So, so every team's different. Every team's going to mesh different. Success, I think success is watching your team develop so that by the end of the season, by using your skill set as a coach um, and watching that kid develop. And, and I always think about you're pushing every kid, but you can't push every kid to the same level, if that makes sense. For sure, yeah. I think that with sports like skiing, track, cross country, you know, it's very easy to get saying, all right, here's the workout kids. Um, you got seventh graders to 12th grade. If you start training your seventh graders, they could maybe for a handful of days run or ski with your top kids, but their heart rate's going to be so high, you're going to burn them up. And I always think, and that's why it's fun to work with athletes at all the three sports because you see them in the fall you've got the winter and you got the spring it's a systematic training program every season is a stair step and so what happens is you know you take your seventh grade kid okay every season if they're in the three distance sports um, track in the spring you know like we just said it, they're going to go through seven eight nine ten eleven twelve so the time they're a senior they actually should be at their best what a lot of coaches end up doing is, is they're training the kids early too hard and by the time they get to 10th, 11th, 12th grade, they're already cooked. And we see that happen across the state. We go, they just train too hard. And, and when you overtrain a kid, there's no going back. I mean, you're not going to recover. It could take, like Tori, he'll tell you, you know, he trained when he went to the um, University of Utah. You know, he was training and racing too hard at altitude. And he literally had to take a year and a half off because it was just too much, too hard in the system. And so I think the biggest thing is that it's a process that every season that you work with a kid as a stepping stone. Your summer becomes the base where it is low key volume. You know, whether it's roller skiing, running, biking, swimming, all the stuff that you do. And I think the biggest, I stress is you gotta have fun doing it. And if you're not having fun doing it, you might go, how the heck is running in hundred degrees fun? You gotta make it fun. It just sucks sometimes. But again, if you're competitive, here's a catch for a high school team. There are kids out there that are not, their goal is to not be a conference champion, a, a, an individual a place winner at the state, whatever it may be. Their goal is to be out there with the team, getting to be the best they can to be a team player and, and just having fun with the team, the camaraderie. And so I, I really thought as a coach, you never want to compare a team to another team. You never compare an athlete to another athlete, but you got to see that team and adapt your team to the level they're at and try to bring the best out of them as a coach, if that makes sense. First, is that something you've developed over years? Did you initially have that kind of attitude or through the 40 plus year of, years of your career, did you really develop that? Seeing many, many athletes come through your program. Yeah, it's developed. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. You, you've seen so many kids in, in your coaching to, to make your kids, number one, I think the biggest thing is a coach. You gotta be a mentor you got to develop trust. 
it's all about relationships. And if you have relationships, you got to listen to the kids too. Well, you have to develop a relationship. You have to develop trust. You have to listen to feedback that the kids are giving you and they got to buy in. They got to buy in. If they don't buy into your program, whatever the sport is, I mean, it could be caught. If you're not as a kid or an athlete buying into the program, doesn't matter. You got to buy in. And that starts with developing relationships. It's like in a classroom with teaching. It's all about developing relationships with the kids. And you know that totally. Um, at first it was win-win. And then it starts to become, you start to learn that every kid has a different reason for being out for the sport. You got to have fun. And it just, it happens as the seasons go on. Even when I was done coaching last year, I was still learning. I was still learning from the kids. And every team until my last year coaching was a completely different team. There's yeah. never two teams that are going to be the same. So once again, what's it like for you to see people like Tori Craftson take over the Stillwater program, uh, Joe Bay take over our program now, the, co- the program you pretty much built up and now he takes it over. And I talked about some other people as well, like Lindsey Williams make the Olympics, Dan Campbell making the Olympics. What's it like to you to see your athletes taking over high school programs, becoming you know, people that you're coaching against, and some of those athletes that you coached back in the day entering the highest stage of athletics as well? Um, incredible, fun to watch. Um, you stand back and go, wow, you had a little impact in what they were doing at the high school level. Not every kid can be on the Olympic team. Not every kid can be a Tory Krauss and Lindsey Williams, any of that. But you never give up on any of those. I remember Danny Campbell, seventh grade, and he was building snowmen on the golf course, and he <laughs> never pushed him. It was just you got to gradually just go with the flow. And he saw some of the older athletes, and so team kids leading team kids. Um, Lindsey, I mean, my gosh, she didn't make our top ten. Our honors sophomore year, she was not on our top ten on our high school team. Mm-hmm time she was a senior she was state champ first year in college she was the best woman skier in the country um, crazy you just never know mark o'connor he, you know he's a coach over at prior lake you know his sons i watched his sons we're in the same section right and so i got to see him at all the meets and got to watch his kid and watch his teams and oh my god it's so fun to see and tori you know it's crazy um he was in civil engineering and he decided we wanted to go back to school and go back into coaching and teaching. He started coaching funny at Stillwater High School. And ironically, my son Lars, and this is interesting, I'll talk about this in a little bit. Lars never wanted to ski. And so I can tell you that story a little bit later. But Lars was skiing with Tori as a 10th grader. It's his sophomore year. It was his first year he Nordic ski. And he he ended up having Tori as his kite, and he didn't know Tori. And so it was ironic that Tori's older kid, Shad, was skiing for Stillwater as a senior. And they were, I don't know, second in the state that year, okay? And then Tori's younger daughter was Rebecca, and she was actually at, um, or it was Raina, I'm sorry, Raina, his younger daughter. And then his younger son was, was Adrian. Okay, so there's like three Craftsons. And so Lars is on the team with these kids of Tori's kids, right? And so Lars was skiing with them. And I was at meets. And when Lars was on the team, I was like cheering for Stillwater, their team, with <laughs> Lars and Tori's kids. And it was just incredible. So Tori and I are ripping around the course skiing together. I go, Tori. Remember when we were doing this at Hastings? And he goes, man, has it come around? 
And so we were just cheering Stillwater and, and all the Stillwater's kids and Lars and his kids and everything. And his daughter ended up actually getting married. We do a wedding venue and his daughter was married at our, our wedding venue wow. two summers ago. And so the whole family and all the skiers, it was just a great reunion. It was pretty cool stuff. That's neat. Talk about some of the assistant coaches you've had over the years, too. You mentioned Greg Sandkamp, uh, Rick Wheeler, some amazing assistant coaches we've had throughout the years in multiple different sports, and that's only two out of the many you've had. So talk about anyone that's had a really big impact on you and the sports here in Hastings and really coached with you for a long time. Oh, working with Coach Sandkamp in track, that's been oh, just a great experience. We're best friends, and you know it's just been an incredible experience working with Greg. In, in track, in skiing, Rick Wheeler, we coached together 20 plus years. Just an incredible coach. And one of the things, too, is that you know, when you're working with assistants, you got to be able to relate and give part of the reins to your assistant. And you certainly know that. And Rick brought so much expertise in waxing. And you know, he was a counselor at the middle school at the time, so he could really recruit and bring some of these young kids up from middle school. And just super, super relationship over the years, and we're best friends still, obviously. Tom Weber was one of the latest coaches that I worked with, and Weber had never skied in his life. Mm-hmm. He taught the guy to ski, and he ended up doing the Berkey <laughs> a couple years later. And now he's so big into Nordic skiing, it's just crazy. And I remember him at the golf course, must have fallen a 100 times, just couldn't stand up on those skis, and ends up racing a 50K race. Unbelievable. <laughs> he now is the head coach at St. Thomas. Yeah. So when Hastings goes against St. Thomas, Weber is the head coach at St. Thomas. Just funny. Matt Maher, he's really sad. Matt passed away a few years ago. And I had Matt in, in class in high school um, in my Hort program. And, you know, he became a teacher at Park Cottage Grove. And we, we always would hang out at the track meets. You know, at Park. I was coaching the Hastings Lewis Park. And we just always connected. We worked back and forth, collabed together with agriculture. He was an ag teacher at Park Cottage Grove. And so we'd always go, I'd go and visit him and, and do some of my PLC stuff with Matt. And he was coaching at Hastings football. And, you know, we hired him as a, a Nordic coach. And he had a daughter, Kira, that was on the team. And, and it's still just crazy. But we just were so close, you know, in coaching and stuff. And, and Matt obviously passed away here a few years ago. But it was just a great experience to, to work with him and his family and his daughter, too. But anyway, so then... Andy Kaflish, that was really cool. Spent a lot of time working with Andy. Andy actually coached my son in, in punting and kicking when he was in college. And Andy, just the best friend of Andy and his son Trevor, as a ninth grader, started in the program and went through state meet a handful of years, a couple of years. And he's at NDSU right now. Um, I saw Trevor and Natalie at their grad party, at Natalie's grad party, and just a great family. And it just was a blast with, with Coach Kaflish. Pat Lawrence, um, he was a former athlete, um, coached with me for a number of years. One of the, he's a real top skier around the Midwest right now, too. Um, Sam Behrens, another, um, another athlete. He lives in Wisconsin right now. And, of course, Joe Rabay, doing the three sports at Hastings, just a great athlete. Um, I just said to Trent, I said, yeah, he's the best guy you're going to have for all mm-hmm. sports. And Joe's just a great friend, and he's doing a great job with all those sports. Now at the Heist. Just a hats off to him, too, but... Yeah, it's just been, you know, it's not only working with kids, it's working with coaches. And, and those are the memories that you develop. You know, too, is just the relationship with your coaches who become your best friend. And, um, even when you're not coaching, they're still your best friends. So it's pretty cool. You, know, you talked about your parents being teachers back in the day. A few things I want to ask about that too. If you want to talk about them being big influences in your life with coaching or becoming a teacher, you can go for it. If there's any other coaches you had growing up too, 
that had a really big impact on you as well and maybe steered you in the direction of teaching and coaching, you can mention those people as well. I think the biggest thing growing up was my parents never pushed me into doing anything. Mm -hmm. And they gave me the tools, right? They gave me the tools to do what I liked and what I want. I mean, if I wanted to build Nordic ski, they bought me the skis. If I wanted to play hockey, they would bring me to the events, right? But there was never a push, okay? So as a parent or as a kid, of parents that were both teachers, you know, dad and mom were both into sports, but I was never pushed to do anything or compete or whatever. That's a learned thing too. You know, it's something that you, you got to look at with high school athletes, you know, as coaches. I can't tell you, I think the U.S. ski team coaches were the biggest influence on me because that was my core of training and foundation, okay? All the tools I got from them I applied to all my teams and all my athletes, okay? I forgot to mention Zach Benning. It was interesting. And again, this is something a kid wants to do. You can, as a coach, push. And I remember telling Zach, he was running really, really good in, in cross country. And he was a sophomore. And again, the training is a systematic program where you got to go season to season, year to year. And he was running really fast in cross, and he was playing hockey. And he was running fast in track too, right? But not, and I said, Zach, what are your goals? You got to talk about what are your goals? What do you want to do in, in your life, in college? Do you want to run in college? Right? And so we were talking about that, you know, like, you know, it's up to you. You know, how much do you like hockey? No, it's no pressure. I'm not going to push a kid off of a team. Mm-hmm. But I said, oh, hey, what are your goals? And so he said, I really want to be the best I can be in track. Okay. And I said, if other kids are doing a distance winter sport, and you're not, you're not going to catch up that season, right? Because it has to be a stair step. And not that hockey isn't going to get you in great shape, but it's not going to give you the base that you need to fire in the track, right? So Zach, on his own, he decided, you know, I think I could never ski, but he would play hockey, so he skated. And in one season, that kid learned his junior year, he learned how to ski Nordic Classic and learn, obviously, how to skate. But he was training three hours a day in volume. He went out in track. He ran a 9.02 mile. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Four guys, like, just flew fourth in the state in the two mile. Four kids broke the previous state record. And so it was super cool. And then Zach was on scholarship at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. But it's an example, again, you, you give the kids the ideas, the kind of the tools, don't tell them what's involved, but you can't ever put Anyway, does that all make sense? Oh, for sure. And that's what I was going to ask as well. You know, you talked about your son, Luke, and your son, Lars, playing six different sports. So you talked about Luke playing football, he alpine ski, and baseball. That's the only kid I've ever heard with that kind of combination before. Yeah. And yeah. then your son, Lars, following in your footsteps with cross-country, Nordic, and track. And I think that's what I was going to ask you about that, too. Is that a skill you learned from your parents not to push them? And then you translated that to your kids as well. And that kind of led them to six different sports and finding success in all those areas. An interesting process. I think, again, Luke, you know, he's a bigger kid, loved football, okay? And you know, he loved alpine skis. So did I, right? Growing up, I loved alpine. Baseball, I wasn't very good in baseball. And, you know, decent, but Luke and I, we'd always talk about that. He goes, think of all these kids. You got a thousand kids in Stillwater that are in Little League Baseball. He goes, in the state title game, there, there's nine kids playing. Mm-hmm. 
And he goes, of all those kids that started Little League, here's your 15 kids that are on that state team in the state championship. So we talked about that a lot. And so with Luke, he, he did the football stuff really on his own. Okay, Alpine skiing, baseball, that was all his deal. We never pushed that. And so Luke ended up interesting because he went to St. Thomas. He was an all-state kicker and punter um, and a very good quarterback. So he did all positions at Stillwater. He was literally never left the field. And so he was just rocking field and, and extra points and punting. He, was, he had a 72-yard punt in one of the games. It was crazy. Oh, he wanted to play quarterback, but he was recruited D1 to punt and kick. So St. Thomas, okay, they go, yeah, you can play quarterback and you can punt and kick. So he was doing that as a freshman at St. Thomas. And it was his senior year, and he goes, I want to – hold back um, and I don't want to use my eligibility because I want to go to my master's program somewhere to kick D1 because Mm -hmm. now he's going I really want to use that and he was doing really good and this is where he would say he regrets it and I pushed him a little bit at the time but I think his deal now he would say his biggest regret is that he didn't try to go D1 and go pro and, and so he, he would tell you that, you know, he was working with Andy, who was top three in the country in punt passing kick um, growing up and working with Andy Catfish. And yeah, anyway, that was his deal, his decision. So he took a job with Oracle, big company, great deal. And, and that was the end of that. But if you go back and say, Luke, what happened? Yeah. But anyway, it all worked out well and he's doing really well too. But um, again, there was never any push from me. The difference with Lars, Lars now is in the three different sports. He was in the sports that I was doing. Growing up, he was a basketball player in the winter, and he was doing football in the fall, okay, and track in the spring. Now, here's a parent. You're going, okay, you're doing great football. And, and he was working, you know, as a seventh, eighth grader, he was working with Eric Ellinger, mm-hmm. these coaches. We'd meet once a week and, and work with him. Um, with, and, and Lars wanted to be a quarterback. And he was good. And it was a lot of conflicting things going on. He was working with, and again, we're not pushing, but he, we were giving him the tools that if he wanted to, he could pursue. So we would go down every couple of weeks to Green Bay, along with working with Eric, working with an NFL quarterback, um, Chris Grice, who used to play with the Arizona Cardinals. And so we'd drive down there, give him the tools, let him work one-on-one. And he loved doing it. And he worked. We'd go out in the yard every night, and we'd throw mechanically. For, it was all mechanics. Is is the quarterback in mechanics, footwork, and everything. And what Eric said at the time when he was in ninth grade, he said if, if he was at Hastings, he'd be the starting quarterback in ninth grade at Hastings. And he was really good. And it was his tenth grade year, and he he was doing really good at Stillwater, and things just didn't quite work out for a lot of different reasons. And he just said, you know what? And, and like Luke said, he goes, Dad, Lars is a better quarterback in ninth grade than I ever was as a senior at Stillwater. And Luke goes, Lars, you've got to. And so Luke is putting pressure on him. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep playing quarterback. And Lars says, I'm done. And, and I'm like, whoa. So all this time as a parent, all the tools, and it was hard. It was really sad as a parent to to have him let that go 
And um, we were real close to transferring to Hastings, but he would have lost the year of eligibility had we done that. So he said, Dad, you know what? He goes, I'm going to run cross country. And so he talked to Stillwater cross country coach his 10th grade year. They were two games into the football season. And he started running on the cross country team. That team that year was second at the state meet in cross country. That set it up for him. And so he ended up now from cross country. He's like, dad, he goes, basketball. Do I do basketball? Okay. And again, I only as a parent am saying, okay, that's your deal. And I said, why don't you just, if you don't want to do basketball, I go, you can do Nordic for fun. And he did like 10 Nordic skis, 10th grade. He played basketball. And no, he didn't want to do that. So Tori is the Nordic coach. And I go, Tori will love you to just to go out and stay in shape for, you know, track, right? And so he comes out to Nordic. And that team with Tori, they were state runner-ups his junior year and his senior year. Can't beat that experience. It's just how it all spins around. And as a parent, I never pushed it. I never pushed it. And again, now in college, Lars does three sports. He does track, cross country, and Nordic. And it's a triple. You're working, and he's in his fifth year senior because he's done all three of those sports. And it's just the amount of training he does. He's training, you know, in the summer, he'll get up at six o'clock, do a workout, and then do another one, rest during the day, and do another one at night. And, and that's literally for the last four years. Never once did I ever tell him, Lars, you've got to go out and run. You've got to go out and ski. It, it's something you just learn and it's on your own because you know what it takes. And, and that's something as a parent, you just can't push it. If I ever push that on him, as a, whatever sport it is, if I ever pushed it, it would never be where he's at today. And he last winter, now remember I told him to do Nordic for fun. He had to catch up because all Stillwater kids are starting when they're little kids in Nordic. They got a great feeder. And so he had to play catch up and we gave him the tools again. I hired a private coach working classic, you don't learn classic overnight and it's high tech. And so again, give the kid the tools if he wants to do it. And you know, he ended up, it was really crazy. It was his senior year and he had a college scholarship running at um, Western Washington, um, out in Washington state. And he signed a contract and he had a great senior year in Nordic. And he goes, dad, he goes, I got a Nordic in college. And I'm like, oh my God. We've gone through all of this, and now you're telling me it's in May. You want a Nordic again? And so he, we just kind of, whoa, let's revamp this a little bit. So that's when he went to Scholastica. And you know, he ended up last year, he was fourth in NCAAs in Division One in the regionals in Nordic. And I just laughed because he didn't ever want to do it. He'd go hide on the courses when <laughs> we're out skiing. He goes, Mom, let's go hide from Dad so we're not going to have to ski. And so... It was really cool. Last spring, he actually ran in a, in a 1500 um, meter at lacrosse, and he ran a 354 1500, which is like an equivalent of a 411 mile. So he's really loving running. We just got back from San Diego, and he raced a race, an eight mile race. We flew out, raced an eight mile race in San Diego, and they, it was a 69th annual race. And you know, he goes, Dad, I just want to do this race. I'm like, okay. So we're on vacation for a week, right? And so he, um, we get up at 5 in the morning and we drive rush hour to this race site at Balboa Park. And there's 2,000 runners. Holy cow. And he ends up getting second in the race, runs the <laughs> second 
second fastest time ever in the history in 69 years. And the guy that beat him was a pro on Nike team. And it was just cool as heck. We just laughed and just said how weird it is that you go through with your kids, but man, you cannot push. It's, oh, go ahead. You might have a question for me regarding that. I was going to ask, only a little thing about this was that I think he's got one year left, correct, in college? Okay. One year, this year is his last, going to be a teacher. Might want to teach in Norway, figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see what happens. Oh, that's awesome. One thing I was going to ask you about as well, you kind of glanced over it a little bit, but you were talking about working at the 1980 Lake Placid New York Winter Olympic Games, and you went to the Miracle on Ice Games. So I think you kind of really briefly went through that story, but you were given that ticket maybe just on a where someone someone gave you the ticket and said, hey, I, I, don't, I got an extra ticket. I don't really want to go to it. So you're just like, oh, I'll go to a hockey game. And it turned out to be one of the biggest uh, games of all time in United States history. So just go on that a little bit more because I know that's a really interesting story. Yeah, so we were, we were in the Olympic Village, and we were we were there for the entire whole time. We were all credentialed, um, went through all the security um, opening ceremonies out in the field of Lake Placid. Um, but every one of it, we had credential cards, so we could get in to all the venues, whatever it was, Alpine or Nordic. We could go to hockey, we could go to figure skating, um, watched all of it, took it all in. And so obviously the U.S. team was doing really well. Saw some of the previous games and um, the big hype was, you know, the U.S. is going against the Soviets, right? Right. The Cold War, Moscow. And so got into the arena and I remember I was by myself and I wasn't with any other coaches. And so I remember walking down below the arena, only 4,000 people in the arena. And I remember walking down below, I was down below somewhere. And I don't remember how I got down there. But all of a sudden, a group of these guys in black suits were coming towards me. And it looked like a pretty important group of people. And I realized, like, oh, my gosh, this is Walter Mondale, the vice president of the United States with his <laughs> service entourage. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I remember just they were looking at me. And I just walked up to him. I go, Mr. Mondale, nice to meet you. Shook his hand. And just, what? So that was before the game ever started. And I always show, I got pictures at school and I always show my kids, this is the game. It's like photos of the game. And I was right behind Herb Brooks' fourth row. Um, and during the periods, they were, everyone was just throwing beach balls around. And it was just banging beach balls from one place. It was just crazy. And as that game was going on, man, I'll tell you, it was intense. When Russia pulled their goalie, it was, oh my God, so cool. And then after the game, you can imagine that little village of Lake Placid. It was Jim McKay, ABC Sports, just out in the parking area in the little town. And it was like the biggest deal of, you can't imagine. Just people going crazy, American flags everywhere all night long. I mean, it was nuts. And then obviously they won the gold medal against Finland on that Sunday. But yes, it was pretty, pretty cool stuff. And obviously it sounds like people knew it was a big deal then. I guess what I'm asking is, did people know how historic it was oh, yeah. at that time? Oh, they yeah. did, okay. Because because that's when uh, Russia or Soviets had invaded Afghanistan. Okay. And there was a lot of talk about how the U.S. was going to boycott the Olympics in Moscow that summer, which they did. Mm-hmm. Cold War was in full blast. And so it was really cool because we'd be out you know, with the Russian athlete you know, in the village, and they couldn't have American money. And so they had all these little bags of their trinkets that they had brought from the Soviet Union. And they would point to things in their bag. And then we would literally take what we wanted 
they would walk into a little store or shop in like in the town and they would point to something they wanted. You'd have to buy it because they didn't have American money. You'd oh, buy cow. it and then trade with them. So we were trading pins, trinkets, souvenirs. They had these big bear coats and bear hats made of real bear. And, and that was their team suits. And I would always want one of the hats and I would flash like a hundred bucks at some of these Russians and they want that money so bad. And we found out because this guy could speak right that we were working with. And he goes, if they don't come back with those uniforms, they send them to the work camps. So we never got a hat, never got a jacket, but all the other athletes were trading hats, jackets, pins, all that. But the Russians were not allowed to have American money. And so we would just trade most of them in the stores. It's crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. So do all, before we wrap it up here, I just got to tell you every single time I've had one of your former athletes on, I've had them tell some of your favorite stories. So I've heard the one, I think Tori Craftson was talking about, I think they were training out at Spring Lake Park. And he said one of the roads kind of eye level, and uh, there was a car that went by at nighttime and there's some red lights that went by. And you started talking about the UFOs were coming for us and beam me up, Scotty. So that was the, that was a big saying that you're beam me up, Scotty. So that was pretty funny. Matt, yeah. Matthew Rack, he was on here. He talked about the time instead of buying a pallet of dirt, you bought a whole truckload of dirt. So they were soaring dirt all over the school <laughs> that year too. So that's always a good one. Three years. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that one too. And, Obviously, we've heard the stories over the years about, uh, I think it was the, the bird or the turkey that stole your cat or something along those lines, too. Oh, so. the owl. Big owl. Yeah. Well, there's an owl. Okay. So took my cat. Yeah, that was crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we've had a lot of good stories over here. So I always, whenever I get one of your former athletes on here, I always ask them their favorite D-Wall story. So it's always a good, we always get a good laugh because they always have a different one and it's always pretty good. Cool. But anyway, <laughs> before, we, before yeah. we kind of wrap it up here. Anything else you want to talk about with your career at Hastings High School? I know some people out there maybe know, maybe don't know that you stopped coaching. This is the last year was the first year that you haven't coached any sports at Hastings High School, probably in over 40 something years. So yeah. you have a, over a 40 year experience. You probably average about a hundred kids a year. So you're talking about thousands of athletes you've had at your time in Hastings High School along with along probably hundreds of thousands, maybe uh, students. So if you want to wrap up your time here at Hastings High School, share about your retirement from sports, not from teaching yet. Uh, talk about anything else you want to about Hastings sports. Yeah. Again, as a coach, you know, at the very end of my career, I think it was really fun watching Linnea Urban. Um, you had her on here. She what, won nine conference titles, remarkable in three different sports. Um, to be at that level, to and again, it's the stair step. A young kid coming out and is gradually developing. And, and to win you know, conference titles in the mile, and cross country, Nordic, all state Nordic, that was a real big highlight. Other highlights, looking, you know, you look at not only kids that, you know, have done bits and stuff like that, but kids at every level in cross country, kids that in the beginning of the season couldn't run to the stoplights at 47, around 55. And, and by the end of the season, they're running a 5K race. Um, incredibly cool. I remember one kid we had an exchange student had never seen, the guy's name was Kent. 10, 15 years ago and never seen snow. And that kid ended up racing a 5K Nordic race. My gosh, they've never been on snow, never seen snow. <laughs> so those are those fun times that you just go, every team has unique kids, unique people. And, and again, you just got to have fun as a coach too. I think all you know, that, that friendship and just developing the friendship and relationships, whether it's teaching or coaching. And again, you can't do that 
unless you have a school system that is supporting that. In other words, supporting you as a coach. And I look back on some of the ADs I work with. I work with Dave Johnson, Tom's dad. Work with Don Miller was funny. I was just talking to Bob Majeski today, and we were talking about Don Miller. And Don Miller was an athletic director a handful of years ago, and he was just a great AD. Um, obviously, Tom Johnson, great rapport with him, um, and then obviously Trent. So all of those ADs make it click. And, and so working with those guys as mentors, supporting your program, I think that is absolutely huge. Not every school has that. Administration, working with Rich Clymer, just a great principal. Um, worked with him for a ton of years. Mike Johnson, unbelievable support over the years. Those two were just great, great leaders of our school. And then just the whole system, how it all worked together. And, and when you have that and you have good assistance and you have from the top down, you as a coach and working with the athletes, that's the game. And so obviously, I would, and here's another thing too, I think the biggest thing along with it is when you have all that, but you got to have the parents. And the Hastings parents that I've worked with over the years, so many friends, still friends over the years. And whether you see them in a store or wherever, you just see the parent. And again, the parents got to buy into your program and, and you got to develop relationships with the parents. And once you do that and, and you develop relationships with the kids, everything else is just gravy on top. And so I just think when you have the parents, the kids, the administration and the leadership, that's what makes it really work. And I know Hastings over the years of 43 years, it's been fun, honestly. It has been, I would never think of this, you're coaching three sports and you're teaching all day. And if you didn't like it, you wouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I look back and I sometimes now when I'm retired from it, like last year was the first year I wasn't coaching. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I just love teaching. And not that I never loved it, but I was like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. It's 3.30. I'm not planning or whatever we're doing for a workout practice, whatever. And it's just fun to, to kind of take a break. And now I got way more energy in the classroom because that energy that I had in athletics now is just driven back into the classroom, like double whammy. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I guess I'm having, like I said, last year was my most fun year I've ever had teaching. So I'm like, my God, I'm 66 years old and this was the most fun year ever teaching. I'm like, what? So anyway, it's all fun and it's all about the kids, man. And Hastings is a great place to be over the last 43 years. And just want to thank everybody for um, having the opportunity to, to work with the, the administration and parents and all the kids over the years. That's perfect. I usually wrap it up with just turning the microphone over to you. Anything else you want to add? Anything you want to get off your chest? Any shout outs? I think you just summed it up pretty good. But like I said, I'll just turn it over to you, Coach DeWall, and anything else you want to add in there. I just want to thank you for letting me have the opportunity to, to it kind of makes you go back and reminisce over the years, which you wouldn't do normally. And it's something that I say, oh boy, when I start pulling it all back and it's like, wow, all those years. And so thanks to you for putting these podcasts together. It's fun listening to them, watching some of the, or listening to some of the former athletes that I've had. And um, it's really cool to, to have the opportunity to do it and I appreciate all the work you've done and best of luck with you and all your coaching and your career. Obviously you. you got a lot of years coming up with wrestling and you got a great program and a great group of people to work with and 
thanks to you and congratulations to all your success and best of luck in the future. Awesome. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate Timo. Good match.